Have you ever been so committed to something that in the highs and the lows, you are going to remain faithful? My husband was born in the state of Washington, and so he bleeds Husky purple. For those of you who don't know, that's the University of Washington Huskies. Go dogs! He's a Husky fan. And because I married my husband, I have adopted his love of the Huskies. So for 15 years, we have been diehard Husky fans. We bleed Husky purple. Go dogs! They do this like that. Washington. Go Washington. Bow down to Washington. Anyway, now you know something about University of Washington. You probably didn't know. But regardless of whether the Huskies have had great seasons or bad seasons, we are faithful to, to just celebrate them and cheer them on. And we have had a couple of times, we've had the opportunity to go into uh, USC and the Coliseum and watch them play the Trojans. Normally, we walk out of there with defeat, but I remember one year we went in and we were anticipating, okay, we've had a decent team this year, something might happen, maybe we'll get to walk away with the victory, but it's hard to go into the Coliseum and win. We're hoping this year we win, but we're going to be going in there, and I remember we got nosebleed seats. I mean, we were at the very top. It was a night game, so it was cold. We had our beanies on and our jackets on, but we were going to cheer on the Huskies, and I remember the game was back and forth. The whole game and it came down to the very end and the Huskies were behind just by like a point or two and in the final minutes of the game the Huskies scored a field goal to go ahead and the audience became silent and we're like they're cheering that they won but the whole stadium was quiet as the Huskies took the lead and they ended up winning the game and so we had a decision to make as we walked out of that stadium we could either hide our Husky gear and sneak out of there or we could wear our Husky gear proud among all of these Trojans and walk out of there with our heads held high well my husband if you know him he's six foot two and so he had no problem strutting out of there with his Husky gear looking at everyone and walking to our car we can be faithful for teams, we can be faithful for our communities and for our families, but I want to ask you today, how does your faith life look like? What does your devotion to God look like? Are you faithful to him in the good times and the bad times? And we're going to be looking and answering this question today, why should I remain faithful to God? And I'm not just talking about a weekend. I'm not just talking about a year. I'm talking about the long haul. Why should I remain faithful to God for the long term? And when I talk about faithfulness, you're going to hear that word multiple times. Faithfulness is our sustained obedience. It's not just one time. It's over years and decades of faithful obedience to God in his ways and his plan and his purpose for our life. We're going to be studying as we have been this whole month out of the book of Daniel 
And what we got to hear the last couple of weeks was about Daniel early on in his leadership in Babylon. And now we're going to be looking at Daniel later on in his life. And later on in his life, we still find the same godly man we found decades before. It's now been about 45 years that he has been in exile in Babylon. And just before we jump into our story, what happens is that the Babylonian Empire falls and the Persian Empire takes over. It's history. That's a historical event that happened. The the Babylonians cease to be in power and the Persian Empire raises up. And so now we have a new king, King Darius, as in our Daniel chapter 1 or Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. And what we're going to find is that Daniel's the same man that he was when we started reading in the book of Daniel. Verse 1, it pleased Darius, he's now the new king, to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. Now when I say satraps, I want you to think the word governors. These were people who were going to lead regions or areas. So there's 120 of them. And with three administrators over them one of whom was Daniel. So you've got the king, you've got three administrators, that's two guys and Daniel, and then you've got these 120 governors. That's how the leadership structure is being set up. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. The administrators were meant to direct and lead all the satraps so that the king could flourish. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So see what's happening here? Now it's king, three people, satraps. The king's like, okay, you three, Daniel's really, he's showing you all out. So I'm going to put him over all of you. Well, that didn't make people very happy, did it? At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men thought, ah, ha, 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 we know how we'll get Daniel. We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. You see, Daniel had proven himself. He had proven himself as a man committed and faithful to God, even in a godless culture. He stayed true. And you think 40 years in Babylon, you think Babylon would start to rub off on him? No. Daniel stayed faithful and committed to standing out and being man of godly character. And they knew that. It was proven. Even these godless people saw this is a man who follows his God. And the only way we can trap him is by using his own religion against him. That's what they knew. You see, when we remain faithful to God, my faithfulness to God opens doors for godly influence. Who wants godly influence? That's my prayer. Lord, help me to have godly influence in my family, in my neighborhood. Help me to have godly influence in this country, in my workplace. Lord, help me. You know how we have godly influence? We're faithful, faithful to follow after God and the character that comes with it. Look at this verse. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. He had proven himself with skill and ability. And not just with this king, 
not just in this empire. This is now three kings. First, it was Nebuchadnezzar who saw Daniel's gifting and skill and experience and ability. And then it was Belshazzar who saw and heard and learned of his incredible skill and expertise. And now Darius got to exemplify him and lift him up because he saw his skill and his experience and his, his lack of corruption and his faithfulness and obedience. And it was over three godless kings that Daniel was elevated time and time again because he was faithful to God. He didn't ever let go of his devotional time or his prayer time. He remained committed to being faithful. God, give me that story. I pray, Lord, that decades from now that that's what people will say about me. And that's, hopefully that's your prayer today. God, I want people to look at me and say that was a godly influence in my life. That's my prayer for you today is that we will remain faithful. And as we are faithful to God, our influence grows. But I have to tell you, just because you have influence does not keep you away from harm's way. Sometimes we get elevated and the pressure turns up and things get hard even at the top. Let's, we're going to jump back into our story. We're going to pick up in verse 6 of chapter 6. Let's see what happens. They're trying to trap Daniel and this is what they do. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or any human being during the next 30 days, except to you, king, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your, your majesty issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. See, once you put out a law and the king decrees it, it cannot be removed. So that's what they knew. If we could get the king to make this decree, it is law and there is nothing he can do because he loved Daniel and they knew that he loved Daniel and this is how they trapped him. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published... What did he do? He did what he's always done. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God. Stop. He, in the midst of this, he gave thanks to God. I don't understand. I, I've got something to learn from Daniel today. He gave thanks to God in the midst of his circumstances, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So what they do? They went and ratted him out as they knew he would be praying. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den? And the king answered as he must. The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. And then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to, your, to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. He was trying to figure out, what, are there any loopholes? Is there anything I can do? 
Then the men went as a group to the king Darius and said to him, remember your majesty that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said, Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Just because we have godly influence does not mean we're going to be exempt from troubled times. We are going to face challenges. We're going to face obstacles. We're going to face opposition. And you see, it's in our faithfulness that we create habits that sustain us through turbulent times. I, I still am boggled that in Daniel's prayer time, in the midst of what he knew was pending persecution, he thanked God. That's Do I thank God when I'm going through hard things? Do I thank God when I know that there's trouble on the horizon? Lord, I'm convicted. I need to thank you regardless of what's ahead of me. Thank you, God, because you are worthy and capable and faithful, and I trust you. But this was not a, a fun task in front of him. But look what, how Daniel responded. As he always did, his habits is what guided him. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home. And just like he always done, three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. He didn't give up. He didn't give up praying. You see, it was in these habits of prayer that he knew what to do so that whenever, when, when stuff happened, he just went back into what he had always done in his faithfulness. I think of it like this. I grew up uh, in high school. I played sports all the time. I played volleyball in the fall. I did track in the spring. And so I was always exercising. I have never been a gym person. I've always been a team sport person. So I, even up to this day, I just don't like the gym. I don't want to go. I want to go play sports with people and get my exercise with people, not just by myself. Forgive me. I know. I'm, I'm super, yeah, never mind. Sorry. I don't need to go there. But I remember I was 22 years old. And in my mind, I never had any problem doing hikes or walking because all those years of exercise that I had. But I was out of college now. It had been a few years since I had played any sports. And I've already told you, I don't like going to the gym. So I thought I still had it in me. So I signed up to go with a bunch of other 22-year-olds on a nine-mile up and nine-mile back hike. With, I had not done that kind of hiking or exercise in forever. And how many of you think I struggled a little bit? It was the worst day of my life. I thought I was going to die. And not just that, but it was an overnight trip. So I had a backpack on me. You see, I thought that all the habits of exercise and physical ability that I had developed in high school, I just thought that's who I was. But I had gotten out of the habit of living a healthy physical life. And so when it came to a difficult situation, a physical situation, suddenly I'm not as fit as I thought I was. And it's the same in our faith life. If we've gotten out of the practice of prayer and devotion and worship and life groups, community, accountability, when stuff happens, 
we don't have the muscles in shape to sustain us through that. We can't just fall back into what we've been used to of thanking God and worshiping God and following God and obeying God because we've lost the practice. So when we are faithful to God, it means that we are continually obedient in the good times and the hard times because the hard times are going to come. The hard times are going to come. And don't, don't we want to be ready when we get there? I want to be ready when I get there. But look what happened. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. You know, as I was reflecting on this story, I was thinking about what Daniel was praying for. This Greek word help um, is actually favor. He was asking God for favor. And as I was thinking about it, if I were Daniel in that moment, I would have been praying that God would have spared me from the lion's den. That would have been my prayer. God, would you please, Lord, prevent me from having to go into the lion's den? I bet Daniel prayed that. And yet, he went into the lion's den. Daniel faced a horrible night. I can picture him. I can picture him sitting there in the dark, damp cave, surrounded by lions, I don't think he slept. You see, if you know the end of the story, I want you to stop right now, and I don't want you to think about the end of the story. I want you to think about those, that night in the lion's den for Daniel. I'm sure he was praying all night. And even though the lions hadn't eaten him yet, he didn't know that that wasn't going to change. I'm sure every single time a lion reshuffled its body or got up and walked around, he was like, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Lord, be with me protect me, and guide me. Some of you, you're in the lion's den right now. And you're saying, God, I didn't even want to be in this den. I have been faithful to you over centuries, and you've allowed me to be in the lion's den. And it's hard, and it's painful, and I'm afraid. If you're in the lion's den right now, I want to encourage you. Not everything that happens in our life is because of something we've done. Sometimes things just happen. But I know Daniel did what he did in this prayer is that he thanked God and he asked God even in the lion's den for favor and he trusted him. But let's see what happens because it wasn't just Daniel who was upset. It wasn't just Daniel who was worried. The king was worried. Verse 17, right before this, remember, what did the king say to Daniel? This was the king's hope. He's like, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Man, the the king was hopeful. The king was speaking into it. Verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring. This was so that everyone could know this is a done deal. No one's moving this stone. The king has declared that this stone is sealed. And then, verse 18, the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. The king couldn't sleep either. And at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. He said, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lion's? And Daniel answered, May the king live forever. 
My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong because of your majesty. And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Lord, if we're in the lion's den, we got to trust God. If you're in the lion's den right now, I want to encourage you, trust God. It may not end the way you think, but when we trust God, our faithfulness is seen. And my faithfulness then sets the table for God's power. You see, the power in this story, God's protected Daniel from the lions. He sent an angel. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Oh my Lord, let me, let me see that kind of miracle in my life that I'm in an impossible situation, that I am in the pit and I am surrounded by lions wanting to devour me and I trust you in the midst of that situation. I didn't even want to be in that pit and yet I trusted you. I trust you, God. Do we trust God? Do we trust him? To lean in and believe that God's power will show up. When we are faithful, God shows up. Sometimes when we're not faithful, God shows up and we praise God for those times. God will show up. God is going to show up. You see, when we keep showing up and praying and reading our Bible and giving and serving and loving and obeying and living righteously, James 5.16 says the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. Lord, I want to have prayers that are powerful and effective. Don't you? Do you want to have prayers that are powerful and effective? Yes. Lord, help me to have those prayers that I can trust you and have powerful prayers and see you do what only you can do. But you see, it wasn't just the power of God revealed in this situation that saved Daniel. Do you want to know what was super cool about this story? Not only was Daniel's life saved, but this godless maid, this Persian empire king, Look what he says. He says to the entire kingdom in verse 20, the end of verse 26, this is what he declares. For he is the living God. This, he's talking about God. He's talking about Daniel's God. And he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. This godless king comes to a saving knowledge of God as savior, as God as king, God as Lord. And that no matter what, even though he's the king of the Persian empire, he recognizes that there's a kingdom far beyond his that will reign forever and that his kingdom will never end. This is the mouth of the king saying this. this. Isn't Daniel, this is the king. And he declares what God did. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. You see, when we live with godly influence, when we are faithful in our habits and our obedience and we are found to be faithful, God shows up. God can change nations. God can change empires. God can change hearts through the power of our obedience. 
I was really humbled a few years ago. I got to go on a missions trip and I went over to the country of Greece and we went to a refugee camp and we got to meet refugees. Now, many of these refugees were, had come from countries that were either in war or they were fleeing persecution. And I met this man named Hassad. And I have to tell you, his faith humbled me. He grew up as a Kurd in the country of Iraq. And he said at some point in his journey, he started to question what he believed. He was raised a Muslim. And so that was the faith he and his family practiced. And if you know anything about that faith community, it's not just a religion that they follow. It's their life. It's their family identity. It's who they are. And so what we were learning in our trip is that many times for a Muslim to leave the Muslim faith and become a Christian requires incredible miracles because they're walking out. They're not just walking away from their religion. They're walking away from their identity, from their family and their communities. And they will, they will oftentimes face persecution. And so he started to have these visions and dreams of this person he didn't know. And God began to, he shared with us, God was revealing himself to him through these dreams and visions. And he didn't know how to call him, but he said, I referred to him as the God of love. Because what I started to experience in these dreams with him was that he loved me and he didn't want me to live in a in the way I was living. And so I began to, I got my hands on a Bible to see if that was what I would find. And this is what I found in the Bible was that over and over, I saw this God that loved people and loved others. And so he ended up having to leave the country of Iraq and flee with many of the Syrians when the Syrians had their war going on. And if you remember in the news about four years ago, there, remember there were all of these boats that were crossing the Mediterranean to safety and many people died trying to seek freedom from the war or from religious persecution. And he tells us this story. He was just trying to find God, but just trying to find God and question the Muslim community meant that he was going to be persecuted. And so he was persecuted. So he fled with his family. And he shares this story with us. I remember being on one of those life rafts in the middle of the Mediterranean. And water was up to my waist as I, stand, as I was sitting on that boat. And I remember on that boat crying out to God, God, the God of love, if you will save me and my family, we will serve you the rest of the days of our lives. And God saved them. And they went to the other side of the Mediterranean Sea and they were able to find a safe refuge in this refugee camp. But he said, my faith does not come without fear and does not come without persecution. Because even in this refugee camp, he shared with us, I'm surrounded by brothers and sisters that are Muslims that fled the country, not because of religious persecution, but because of the war. He said, I was standing in line for the food rations one day in the refugee camp. And a gentleman behind me tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, my faith tells me because you are a Christian, I can kill you. And he says, my faith tells me that if you strike me on the cheek, I turn and offer you the other cheek because I serve the God of love. And I met him and heard his story. And I have to share, I felt like my faith was so weak. I'm like, Lord, I pray that if I'm ever in that situation, I pray that I'm not, that I would have the faithfulness 
to say, I am a follower of Christ, whether you take my life or hurt my life, or if you take down my family or you take down my reputation, I don't care. I am faithful to God in the midst of this. Can I tell you, we are living in Babylon today. We are in exile. We are in Persia today. We are surrounded by people that don't speak the God culture that we speak. And I want to ask you this. What does faithfulness to God look like in this season for me? For some of you, it means you got to get back to the beginning. You got to get back to being in the word and doubling down on your devotional time and your prayer time and your worship time and your generosity. And you got to say, I'm not going to be halfway in and halfway out. I'm going to be all in because God, I believe in what this word says and I'm going to be all in. For some of you, maybe faithfulness is that God's asking you to stand up and say something. Before you do that, go back and watch October 1st message on how you stand up and stand out because there's ways that we can do it that are powerful, more effective than not. But I want to encourage you that if God's calling you to step up in a situation and remain, have your character intact, you would do that. But God's asking his church, will you be faithful? Will you be faithful? And my prayer as we continue to seek to thrive in Babylon. That's what this whole series is about, is we want you to thrive even in the midst of Babylon, that we will be found faithful. Amen.